Thank you, Bill. Well, I get a chance to work with police every week, and so you could say I'm part of the uh, paramilitary family, and I can tell you that uh, there is no greater love than a man lay down his life for someone he calls a friend, and uh, we're blessed to have so many vets in the building, so many people that have served, but I don't know, I think the generations that are coming up maybe don't appreciate freedom as much as we have appreciated freedom, so... May we be the ones that hold fast to the reality that freedom has never been free, and somebody somewhere has paid a severe price for it. And uh, today, although we love to tromp all over other people's freedoms, I, I will always be one who's always ever appreciative of those who have paid such a great price. So thank you all uh, for your service and your continued service. And may God uh, have mercy on our country and some of the things that we think are currently important. I, I will not be, I'm not the most political pastor in the world, so I don't think you're ever going to come to Sunday and hear a bunch of political things, but I, I do feel that uh, recently some of the stuff that has happened, some of the things that our country is seeing as important uh, has caused me to even stop my car and kind of pull over to the right and, and think, where are we going? What are we doing? And uh, why are we in such a hurry to get there, Right. I mean, it seems like the Lord said in the end times, they will want their ears tickled. And I remember as a child kind of growing up, like, that's a strange phrase, your ears tickled, right? But then today, as I kind of realize at 57, a grandparent of four children, um, man, there's a lot of tickling that goes on in the world. And people really want to hear certain things, and they're looking for certain things, and that's what they seem to find is the thing that kind of speaks tickling uh, to them, not so much intimidating. And I tell you what, it's, it's tough for me because the first book study that we get to do is James. And James is just the, you know, the black and white 90 degree. There's no punches are being held back. If he, if he needs to speak to somebody about something, then he's going to speak to him right away. And as I begin today in chapter 5, uh, we'll be in verses 1 through 12. Um, I think today is a little bit lighter than last week. I think 4 was pretty heavy. And based on the amount of time that I spoke last week, I would say it was very heavy. Um, but I can tell you this, this week the, the message is a little smaller and it kind of feels like uh, chapter two when we talked about favoritism, about maybe something that should be kind of something we understand. But I want to encourage you, everything that James is talking about is all connected. So from the very beginning when James talked about this in chapter one, you the first church, he was writing to you the first church as you consider all these things I'm about to share with you, I'm going to give you kind of the systematic recipe for a real simple, a real faith that's living. And I want you to do one thing in that first part. Remember, we call it, some people call James a book, but remember, this is not a book. This is a letter. And just as a letter, if I write you a letter, if I sit down and I could write and you could read my writing, which I won't write you a letter because you would never be able to read my writing. I might type you a letter, but I'll never write you a letter. There's a cohesive thought in that. There's a thought that James is trying to get through. And the thought starts there in chapter 1 when he, said, when he said this, Consider it all joy. Everything that I'm about to share with you over these next five pages of this letter, I want you to just keep that in mind, that it's under the blanket that you have to consider it all joy. We're not out there trying to win some kind of earthly prize. We're trying to lay up in ourselves treasures in heaven. Matter of fact, it's a message I think I may do for next week, which is our Thanksgiving service, the five incorruptible crowns. I don't know if a lot of people even realize what we're actually laboring for, 
But it's a message I've been waiting for, and maybe next week it would find itself to just be a good, short, encouraging passage. Also next week we'll have some praises and some miracles and some things that God has done and hopefully some baptisms. Um, But as always, whenever we talk about baptisms, there seems to be greater attack on individuals and myself included. But I'm really hoping that next week will also be a huge source of encouragement because we have a lot to be thankful for in this uh, 2022 year that we're in. But anyways, today we are in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And this particular passage in 5, he's going to address once again another specific group. So back to chapter 1, consider it all joy. Chapter 2 was favoritism. Chapter 2 was about favoritism. If you showed favoritism to someone coming into the church or someone who was wealthy, that's a problem because we're not supposed to show anybody anything any different. Whoever comes in the building, however they come in the building, we show them all the same love and the same passion. Then in chapter 3, he gave us pastors and teachers a warning. So remember, James is covering the whole gamut, the entire church, from the front of the church to the back of the church. He said, pastors, be very careful about what you say. Be careful about those of you who want to teach and stand in front of people and invoke the name of God. Make consideration for what that costs you. You're going to have to first examine yourself with the word of God. And then in chapter four, he said, hey, part of the biggest problem that believers will have is the tongue. It may seem like the smallest part of your body, but just like a rudder on a ship. It is the most important part because from the words we speak, thoughts we have, words we speak, the actions then follow. And he said, that's really a big problem for me is that I'm seeing too much about believers who are saying one thing and doing something else. He said, it would be better to not say anything. Just go do. Just let your light shine. So as he gets to chapter five, one of the groups that he's kind of left to address is the rich. And so here he comes in chapter five with a very stern warning for the rich. And as I get ready to read this, I just want to encourage you something. It's not a general all call for the rich. It's a very specific call of the rich. Now, um, I went back and did a little research when he wrote this. Maybe 20% of the public was considered wealthy 2,000 years ago when he wrote this. So even within this class of wealthy, he's still not addressing the 20%. He's addressing the 5 to 8% that he considers the people that are willing to oppress for the sake of wealth. Now, as I brought that forward today, I thought I should also let you guys know, today in America, where we live right now, we are considered by all standards wealthy. So I don't want you to hear this message and think, okay, he was talking to a specific group 2,000 years ago, very affluent. The reality is every American, pretty much every American for the most part, when considered the monies that other people earn and have, we are considered a wealthy nation. So I want to broaden the spectrum of this message So you're not like, okay, well, he's not talking to me because I'm definitely not wealthy. Whether you feel wealthy or not, if you're ever in charge of people, okay, if you ever as a manager or a leader or instructor have authority over people, then I think there's an application that this message would then speak to you as well. So broaden that stroke out there. And remember, there's plenty of rich people in the Bible that God has spoken about that that did not succumb to this. I think all of Abraham's lineage, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they were all affluent. Barnabas was definitely affluent. We little Zacchaeus in the tree, he was affluent. Um, I think there's been plenty of people that have shown you can be affluent and it's not an issue. So don't think, well, this is just a general call to the affluent. This is a call to those willing to do whatever it takes for the sake of money, and in particular, oppress. Um, And the reality is I think people have been oppressing people for a long time for for many different reasons, but this is a very specific warning. So 
Let me pray, and we'll get ready to start this. And Father God, I just thank you for the opportunity this morning to study your word. And I know that James was focused on a specific group of people, but the reality is as we're here 2,000 years later, um, I think every one of us have the opportunity to be in charge of someone or to be over someone. Um, and I think any application that we can get from this passage today would be beneficial because the reality is that people are your treasure. And so if we're to be a good manager, to be a good follower of Christ, if we're to represent the things that are important to you, then we'll have that same understanding that the real treasure in life are people. And whether or not we see that or not this morning, I pray that you would just tap us on the shoulder and say, I have something to share with you. This may apply to you, so be willing to hear it and make consideration that whatever our gains are in this world are nothing compared to the gains that we want to store up eternally. That is where the high calling for ours is to go and to make, to teach, to baptize in the name of Christ, Father. So may everything we continue to say and do this morning bring honor and glory to and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as chapter 4 end, last week we talked about the phrase, be humble, and if the Lord wills, right? If you're humble and you're doing what the Lord wills, then your inclination is to draw near to God. And then I told you I really like that phrase that Pastor Rod talked about. If we draw near to God, the more we smell and resemble and act like God, the more the devil will naturally flee from us. So it's a beautiful thing for us to think the Shekinah of God, right? The closer we get to the Shekinah of God, that that kind of then overflows onto us. And so just as the radiance of God does someone, uh, Moses passing by, right? And and the Shekinah shines on him. We want that Shekinah to shine off us and then it will help us to draw near to God. If we don't, and we decide that we want to pursue wealth, especially pursue wealth at any cost, here's a warning. It's a pretty stern warning. The very thing you desire will be the very thing that brings you down. You will never have enough of it. It will never satisfy. And the very labors and time and energies that you put into it will all seem to work against you. So let's start with this first part of the passage, uh, one through three, and then we'll kind of work our way through the rest of the passage. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and the rust will be a witness against you, and it will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days, and you have stored up for you treasure. So James, once again, like I said, James has no problem bringing out a hammer and finding some glass and smashing it right away. And so he's going to kind of get their attention when he says, come now. That's familiar language, right? Remember back in chapter four, instead of going, saying we're going to go here tomorrow and going here tomorrow, we should say. So come now, he used that same phrase in the letter last week. He's saying, hey, look, here's what you should be thinking about. Your believers, everything that you do as believers is affecting everything else that happens in the church. So if you're willing to do uh, whatever it takes for the sake of money, I want you to realize something. The very clothes that you labored so much for are now being destroyed. Now, it's figuratively speaking, right? Moth-eaten and rusty. He's basically saying everything that you labor for in this life will all deteriorate. Matter of fact, if you think about it, what is actually gold going to be one day? Pavement. Thank you, my brother. And I don't know about you, but there's a lot of construction jobs going on right now. Any of you following the construction trucks, picking up little pieces of cement, concrete, and thinking, wow, what a treasure, right? But think about what we'd willing to do right now for the sake of gold. 
oh man, we see one commercial on TV for gold and what gold is doing or what silver is doing and all these different things. And then all the little bells and whistles start going off in our head. He's like, these things that you're laboring for, these things that you aspire so greatly to have, these things are going to testify against you. And one day they will have zero value at all. They will be here. Jewels and all that will all be part and present of what the new heaven and earth that God's going to create. But they will not have any value. Instead, when he says, lay up for yourself where moth and rust and thieves can't steal, he's telling you there's a mentality that you need to have that will keep you humble. That is, where can I store up? If I'm going to be a person who stores up, where can I store up? Where would be a beneficial place to kind of labor and work for? And he's saying, store up in heaven. And that's why I think maybe next week it would be fun to talk about the five crowns. If you guys just, quick hands, five crowns, oh, you guys know, all know the five crowns. Have you ever heard a message on that? Anyone? Wow, fabulous. That's a, what? Two people. Thank you. Well, then I'm going to get some three. Three, three, four, four. Four, no, three. I got three. That is fabulous information. I think you're going to be very excited. So like one of the crowns is you automatically get is as a believer. So congratulations, you're already working on one 20%, right? The idea of these crowns is that when you store up for these crowns, however the millennial reign is going to be, and I know you guys are like, oh gosh, he's talking revelation again. Where's Pastor Bill at? However the millennial reign works, at some point in time, the crowns are going to come into effect. And then there's going to be a time when the crowns are done and we're going to lay them back at the feet of the Lord. I'm not going to try to explain all that to you because I think we all served our penance during the Revelation series for this year. (laughs) But I would love to share with you the excitement of what is to lay up, to work towards something, right? If you're working towards something that has this kind of elevation in your mind, it helps kind of give you the proper perspective of the here and now. So James said, here's a question that you can ask. What's more valuable to you? As you sit here today, what's more valuable to you? People or riches? People or riches? Now, unfortunately, once again, like I said, I work with the police department, and one of the problems that I find is we have to deal with the same people over and over again. To the point where as we're driving down Harbor Boulevard or Newport Boulevard or different areas, we don't think we know who's out there. We pretty much know. And I'm to the point now where I've been riding for a while. I know. So even when I'm not in a car, as I drive home, I see certain people. Matter of fact, last night I was over towards uh, MacArthur by the Home Depot, and that's where our friend Bobby has gone. Bobby is world famous. Bay Street Bobby, you guys all know him if you're Costa Mesa. 18 years standing in front of the liquor store there. Bobby the bad guy, Bobby, yeah. Yeah, he's now on MacArthur in front of Home Depot, and I hadn't seen him in four or five months. And our friend John Began, who's also from the church, he's out there ministering to these people every day, and I was thinking, Lord, where is that treasure? I don't know what he does at night. Some people say he's praying, whatever it is, but where is Bobby? Is he okay? What's going on? And my daughter and me had gone roller skating, and it was late at night, and we're coming back, and all of a sudden you see this man carrying four Target bags, which is a new thing now is Target bags. And he's doing the shuffle. His, his legs are so swollen that he can barely walk. And every time he gets picked up, Santa Ana picks him up now. Every time he gets picked up, they take all of his belongings. And in order to get him in a shelter, he can only have a small amount. And so every, every time his stash gets smaller and smaller, to the point now he's down to like two or three bags. And he is shuffling green light. It is dead green. And Bobby is shuffling right to the middle of the intersection. And I stop my car out there, and my daughter, you know, she's 26 and a nurse and concerned about life. And I stop my car, and I start flashing my life. I'm ready to get out of the car. In my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, what am I doing? Because I'm not thinking straight. I'm just thinking, protect that treasure. I mean, Bobby's somebody's son, right? 
Bobby's somebody's treasure. And, and James is saying, it's so interesting that you guys would do, you, I'm not speaking, all of us, sometimes we are so willing to do whatever it takes for the mighty dollar that we would drive by somebody who seems to be in disarray, their life seems to be in disarray, and we think, that's like a blight on society. And I think James is tapping us on the shoulder saying, no, that's not a blight on society. Your attitude is what the blight is. That is one of God's children. And we all looked offensive to God at one point, right? We all had the look of sin in our lives. Matter of fact, one of my brothers came in today, and he's been bearded for quite some time, and I got a chance to see his face this morning, and I was like, hey, handsome young man, I hadn't seen your face in a while. I won't call him out or whatever, but I mean, right, we, we don't know what someone looks like under that, but underneath, the, underneath Bobby is somebody's prodigal, and every person that's on the street represents a prodigal, and James says, just take a deep breath this morning and start by saying this, what is more important to you as you sit here right now? Human beings, gold, silver, platinum, money. You, you, you finish this sentence with whatever makes sense to you. And he says, so what would you be willing to do for those? Well, that seems like a simple question, but the reality of that question is this. Am I more committed to financial gain, my will, than I am more committed to the cause of Christ? Because right? the cause of Christ is go, make, baptize, and teach. Anything that doesn't fit into those four parameters is your will. Now, you have every opportunity in life to exercise your will. Free will is something that we have, and it's, it's an amazing gift. But just like with anything, it comes at a price. If your opportunity in life is, I'm so committed to this that I'll work 75 hours this week to get an extra $500 so that I can go on vacation. Hey, I'm trying to go on vacation. You heard the elders give me my thing last week and said, take this and go. You know, I, I know that I need to go on vacation. I'm tired. I get that. I get that we're all tired. But I'm, I'm one of those people who's like consumed in the moment. Like I, I can't preach a message and say, why do you think you're going to go here tomorrow? Why do you have plans for next year? Well, you don't have that. You have today. So because of that teaching, it's kind of ingrained in me. I got today. I, I may only have today. So what can I do today to live for the Lord? But he's saying, hey, look, there's others of you that are already planning out how you're going to get and do and obtain. And that's, gonna, that's a real problem for you. Because where your heart is, where your desire is, that's where your thoughts and your actions are going to follow. And because of that, that's why money is so important. But an interesting component about money, and anyone who's ever had it will tell you this, is there ever a point where it's ever enough? Right? No, there's not ever a point where it's ever enough. Well, I have, if I had one month's worth of saving in the bank, you know, I taught my kids how to do Dave Ramsey. Fabulous, by the way, if you guys ever have a chance to do that with your kids. You know, have an amount of money in your thing. And then I taught him, uh, you know, this other principle from Ramsey was, if you make $100, live on 80. You can do the math from there. The idea is, if you live on 80, $20 now becomes grace for the rest of your life, right? It's a fabulous principle. You know what most people think? If I had 120, then 40 would be grace. If I had 160, then this, and all of a sudden, all the way they're doing to get the extra, their life, the quality of life, the quality of their relations, the quality of everything that they're having, it all starts to run them up. Why? Because the pursuit of money becomes a source of destruction for them. First uh, Timothy 6.10, Timothy, although like James, is one of those people that gives a lot of practical Christian uh, encouragement. How about this verse? For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from their face, faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
Now, in that passage, did it say money in and of itself is evil? So if I put a big pile of money here and said that's evil, that would not be true. No more than if I took a bottle of wine and set a bottle of wine here and said that is evil. That's not true. Right? We have to have an understanding of what God's word is saying is because there's times and places in life where that pile of money might be a real blessing. And depending on what you do with it, it might be a source of incredible blessing. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, we had a very large donation given to the church so that we could remodel the church, paint the church, and do the ramp, remember? And then we found out we needed air conditioning and we did all this other stuff. One of the first things that we did, though, as a church, in case you guys don't remember, was donated to our missionaries. One of them was the uh, Nepal, $10,000. Can you imagine if you're the Nepal guy that day? I mean, $10,000 just all of a sudden comes your way. Because why? Because God blessed us, so we go back and do what? Bless those who are out there doing that frontline work. You know, this church actually gives more than 10% of our budget. So if you want to know what our budget is, if you're involved with the church resources, in January we'll have the budget meeting. Come find out. I think last year we were between 11 and 13%. We're not only committed to giving, but we're committed to giving over, right? Because can you outgive God? I mean, if God is the one re responsible for your resources, it helps to kind of give you a priority. Timothy's saying, hey, look, money in and of itself is not the evil. That's not where the evil is. The evil is, is, what am I willing to do for that? And some people do. They literally scheme, like, what can I do for that? Some steal, some cheat, some lie. And then James says, ultimately what greed allows you to do is take advantage of those who actually do the work for you. James' concern is pretty simple. Money is more important than people. And that's a problem. Now I'm going to keep reading in verse 4, and he's going to give you some principles on what we can do to avoid this downfall. Behold, pay the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you, for it cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, from the very beginning, this is from the Old Testament on, God instilled some rules and regulations for Israel to follow so that there would not be the separation of the haves and the have-nots. And he's talking about lawnmowers and people that are mowing the fields. I thought that was pretty good. That's pretty simple. But here's a principle for you. Six separate principles that will all help us as a society. Think about this. All these different things we want to do as a society today. Here's something from God's word that's 2,000 years old. If we could do this as a society, the scripture says there would be no poor among you. I'll read the scripture as soon as I'm done. But let me give you the six things God says from the Old Testament that would eliminate poor. One, pay before the sun goes down. Principle number one, pay before the sun goes down. So their time clock is six in the morning to six in the afternoon. Whatever work is done between those two times is completed at the end of the day. Why? Back to the same principle from chapter four. Because for you to say you're going to pay them tomorrow means that you feel that you have control over time. Now, we happen to be in a society today where the average pay is two weeks, and that's what's agreed upon, and so be it. But he's saying if we simply have this idea that whatever somebody did, we paid them right here and right now, we would always clear the debt. 
I also think it's beneficial for you to go read the scripture about the, the guy who had the vineyard, and, and then some people work 12 hours, some people work eight hours, some people work six hours, some people work four hours, some people only work two hours. And for, you, for your small group study, I think it would be good for you guys to discuss, what is the pay? I'm not going to tell you because you should already know, but what is the pay, and what does that say about the vineyard keeper and how he valued employees? It was equal. All people received equal pay. Because the principle is we want to avoid the haves and the have-nots. Loans between brothers and sisters. It doesn't say non-believers. Loans between brothers and sisters. Brethren, very specific, should not have interest. Should not have interest. You're going to make money in life. That's fine. But you don't make it off brothers and sisters who are now at a point of struggle. When that situation in their life has occurred that they have struggle and you have the opportunity to bless them, be that blesser. Parameter number two, the loan should not exceed seven years. Why? Well, because sooner or later the loans are going to expire anyway, so keep it under seven years and no interest. Simple principle. Orphans and widows should always be prioritized. Orphans and widows should always be prioritized. Now, not only is this important to the church, but uh, Pastor Bill and I get to do the benevolence for the church, and I can tell you this. In the five years that I've been here and the chances that I've had to help with that, we have people that no longer even have attended the church for periods of time. Because some orphans and some widows have such a difficult life that they literally have to come and go. And I would like to tell you as a church and affirm you as a church, we have continued and maintained support and encouragement for some of those that God has brought our way. Why? Because it's a priority. Because where your money is, right, where we, where your, that's where your heart is. And so we're trying to honor God with the things that he has given us. Now, not many of us are harvesters. There's not a lot of crops hanging around in, in Costa Mesa. But a principle that existed that I think is amazing, that is any excess food that was left from the harvest, including harvest that fell from the harvester, was to be left behind. Right? It was an intentionality to say there will be people in the village, maybe even the same people who did the labor in those fields, that don't have enough food. So rather than taking everything from the field, whatever percentage is left from the hedgerows and from that which has fallen can then be gleaned by those who have need. It's a glorious principle. It's amazing to me that in a world where people are so fascinated by great thinkers and intellectuals that this stuff has been around since the beginning. The Bible, is, to me, is one of the most fascinating books. The simplicity of the Bible and the things that have been said in the Bible are some of the most fascinating things in the world because it's so simple and it's been there from the beginning of time. And yet, think about how we do everything. We'll, we'll run that harvester around and around and we'll pick up everything. There'll be nothing left. Matter of fact, we may end up harvesting stuff that's not even actually food and then selling it to you because it inadvertently gets stuck in the harvest, right? Because that's how we are as a society. Get, get, get. Can, can, can. Keep all our cans and then store our cans for ourselves. That little seagull and his little mine, mine, mine is maybe a children's thing, but I mean, it's really the mindset of the United States. It's like, it's mine. We've worked for it. It's mine. And the onus is here. It's not yours. It's his. It's all his. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and everything below it. And how we treat other people and how we think of it makes a big difference. If for some reason you still have something that was somebody else's, John had a piece of land, he went through some tough time, and 2000 he sells it to me, and uh, that's how he finances his family. 
And 50 years, every 50 years as a society, the word jubilee came into mind. And the 50th year was jubilee, and they had this incredible opportunity for them as a nation to do what? To restore all the things that had been lost, bartered, and traded in that 50-year period back to the original families. So that John's namesake and his family's piece of land is now returned back to him. Right? It financed him and it got him and his family through whatever it needed to do, but it's his land and it's now returned back to him. And then the haves and the have-nots are balanced out. This is what the scripture says verbatim to Israel if they did this. There need be no poor among you. No poor. For the land your God is giving you to process is your inheritance and he will richly bless you if you only fulfill and obey the law of the Lord your God and are careful to follow these commands I'm giving you today. Those commands. So sometimes we like to take Israel stuff and make it apply for us. I know Jeremiah 29 is a famous one that Americans... But I mean, these are just simple principles. I don't know how you can apply them in your life. I hope the small groups will have wonderful discussion with this. But what James is saying is the difference between the haves and the have-nots is biblical principles. And if we would just honor what God said, the, the laborers in our lives and the people who provide for us would have a different mindset as everyone else because treating a laborer poorly is not drawing near to God. Now, I don't know about you, I consider myself a laborer. I've never considered myself anything other than a laborer. And there was times in my life, especially during growing up in high school, where my friends owned landscape company, and I was the laborer. I was the lawnmower. I was the edge trimmer. I was the palm tree trimmer, which, by the way, I still trim your palm trees out in front because I love to work. And I've been told that I shouldn't do that anymore as a pastor, a senior pastor, or a pastor of some sort. But I want to encourage you guys something. Working and laboring for me keeps me humble. And if you forgot what it means to be humble, then you forget last chapter. Then you're going to consider something. The arrogance that you have, the boasting that you had, it works against the nature of God. Do you want to be against God? I mean, Pastor Rod's not here. That's the second thing I do. Do you want to be against God? Be arrogant and be boastful about what you have. And five and six. You have lived luxuriously on this earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. The righteous man is the laborer, right? He did not condemn you. In other words, you've already received that from... You've already received all that you will from this abuse, and there is nothing stored up for you that will follow. If you want to go after it right now, church, the warning to you and the warning to them was, if you want to go after it, go after it. But when you get it, be prepared. It may not satisfy like a Snickers, right? It's like, if I just get this car, my brother, God bless his soul, decided to spend $82,000 and buy a new electric car. I haven't spent that much money total in cars in the last 12 years. But he told me, the government's going to give me this, and the government's going to give me this, and the government's going to give me this, and the government's going to give him this. And I said, okay, will the government give you the electricity you need to run said $82,000 car? Because it doesn't run on solar, bro. He didn't have an answer for that. 
But my son sells power, and so he's hopeful that my, one day my son will sell him a power station, and he can hook it up in his garage, and then somehow it works out. To that avail, I simply say to him, sometimes the very thing we want so much of, and we finally get, it also came with a nice $900 a month car payment. Now, I don't know about you, but I started thinking about it. We just celebrated our 38th anniversary, and we paid $900 a month for our house when we first got married. Now, none of us here in Costa Mesa, $900 a month wouldn't even buy you half of a half-bedroom house or 200 square feet. I don't think 900 would help you out much in Costa Mesa. But the idea of something that we wanted so desperately, we have. And now we have to make that commitment to work. Well, guess what? You have to work a little more right? Because the thing you wanted, you got. And now you're driving like everybody else is driving something that everyone else has got. But for you, you're going to have to work a little bit more. Now the quality of life and your ability to serve, right? You want to serve in church? You want to do some different things? Sometimes that time gets cannibalized and you're going to have to somewhere. It's going to have to give somewhere. Where does it get? Where does it go? It usually goes from church, right? It's like I was talking with someone this week and said, you know, we've been watching from home for two years now and it's just become like this thing, like we're so, we don't get, we have to wake up every day for school, and we have to do this, and I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why are you telling me? If you're coming to church for me, you're already in trouble, okay? Don't come to church for me. See? You come to church for, for him. You come to church to remind yourself that all the sleep that you lost Monday through Saturday for the private school, the car, the home, all the things that you've already been enjoying Monday through Saturday, that's just stuff. And the Bible says it's all going to burn. No U-Hauls behind a hearse, right? Tom, you've got a, Tom you, sell, you sell hearse every week. Any U-Hauls come with those beautiful $230,000 cars? Not a trailer hitched on one. All your stuff, guys, going to be all somebody else's problems one day. And you're like, this is what I need. This is what I need. This is what I need. And now this is what I have. Who's there to share it with you? I love that the Bible says, I'd rather be at the house of a poor man, you know, where the family's there and have the joy than a rich man by himself. I mean, we, what would you rather have? I'd rather have a family to share it with. I'd rather, and he's saying, hey, look, if you want to be arrogant, if you want to work against the Lord, then the very thing that you're laboring for, as soon as you get it, that's as good as it gets. Then it's over. It will not satiate your hunger. You will continue to be hungry. You will continue to be thirsty. You will drink that in, and it will make no effect whatsoever on your need. Because that's not what it was designed for. It's a misuse of that need. I'm not saying don't work hard and don't try to do whatever it takes to get something done. I'm just saying do that for the sake of salvation, now, I happen to be someone who's highly motivated by salvation. And for the sake of salvation, I would go anywhere and do anything. Even to the dismay of my family, probably thinking at some point in time, it, it means too much to me. It does. This week in my office, I had a chance to pray with some people and do some counseling. And I will not reveal to you the names of any of that situation. But an interesting thing has happened when we prioritize something before God that's not wealth. God provides the opportunity. And in counseling this week, I had the opportunity to ask someone, let's say this counseling situation for a scenario that's super important for us ends, and the next thing that happens is that door opens right there, and Jesus Christ walks through. And he looks at you, and he looks at me, and he says, that was it. Those were your last conversations. 
The next conversation you're going to have is with me on why I'm going to let you pass forward. Who should pass, right? On the bridge of life. Who should pass? And the individual responds, I don't like being put on the spot. And I said, you're not the, this is not the first time I've asked someone on the spot. But as a friend, I'm asking you, you can do something about being on the spot right now. But one day you're going to take that last breath and there will not be a second chance. This is an amazing chance to say, why? And things flow from us like, I did good. I went to church. I gave to the Boys and Girl Scouts. I did fundraisers. I made cookies. I, I tried to be a nice person. All wonderful things. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man gets to my Father except through me. So why am I going to let you through? The answer was not what it needed to be. And I said, there's only one way to be through. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Receive him as your king and humble yourself to say you need. Because what you need, church, you can't get anywhere else except for right there or right there. And thankfully in my office this week, old school style, we prayed and I watched a grown adult receive Christ. And that's something I've been waiting for. And that's something that means something to me because verse 7 and 9 says, therefore, once again, when there's a therefore, you ask, what's it there for? He's summarizing everything. He's saying there's a different way to live. There's a different way to do things. And he's going to give you great example of something you can look at for a great example. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. For the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets too early, which in their timeline would have been November, and then late when it rains, which would have been early April. So you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts, right? Remember, the heart is proverbially wicked. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. And do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. What do we complain about? We complain about things like, well, why does he have that car, and why don't I have that car? Why did they have that house, and I don't have that house? Why did he get that job, and I didn't get that job? And all this complaining and grumbling and mumbling we do, it just fills our heart once again with bitterness, right? And then what's in our head starts to fill what's in our mouth, and then the words that we speak produce the actions that we take. And he's saying, you want to know why you're struggling with this? Because you're not making consideration for the others that have come before you. The others that have come before you, they've struggled, and they've been okay, you should struggle and be okay. Instead, what you should be thinking is, how, how, how much different would this be if I was patient? Okay, Lord, hmm, my brother got a new car. That's nice. How can I celebrate his new car with him? One of the ways you can celebrate with your friends who have new electric cars, by the way, is to tell them to turn that stupid function off that when they go fast or slow, it's constantly charging. You haven't been in the car yet with them. Okay, so your friends will get one of these cars, and they're going to want to show you how their car charges battery coming, and then when they slow down, it charges again. And the result of that is you're constantly doing this, <laughs> which they think is great because their new car is like a giant Disneyland ride with a giant 12-inch TV screen and space modules, whatever, and the electric car is 10 times faster, so you're really, and I'm getting seasick over there, and I'm like, I'm not really enjoying this car ride anymore. My car is $8,000, and we can just go somewhere, and I can be sane when I get there. 
But don't complain. Be encouraging to your brethren. Hey, this is really nice. Would you mind turning that feature off? By the way, all they're all features. It can do everything. Self-driving does all that same stuff, right? I don't want to sit next to my brother having a conversation while he's looking at me like this. And the car's driving. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm ready to meet the Lord. Don't get me wrong. I'm fully ready, right? You're ready. I'm ready to meet the Lord. I just don't want to meet it while your car's deciding to drive us off a cliff or something, saying that GPS said there was a perfectly good road there. Practical advice. Be patient, Pastor Jeff. Be long-suffering. Strengthen your heart. Don't be overwhelmed by the situation. Don't grumble. Be humble. Remember, James had to warn the pastors and the teachers first, right? We have to examine ourselves. Why? Because Jesus is the only judge. Clarification on judging last week. Is it judging if I go to my brother or my sister and say, hey, I notice you're using God's name in vain, and I would really appreciate it if you found something else to say other than God's name. Is that judging? No, that's accountability. Okay? Do not confuse judging and accountability. We are called to be accountable. Matthew 18, called to be accountable to one another. Keep us check. Iron versus iron. Iron on iron right? But if I go to you and say, hey, I don't like your sweater. Please don't wear that on Sunday. Not only is that ridiculous, but it's just, it's cutting. You're just, you're, you're, it's just, you're tearing people. Pastor Jeff, seriously, by the way, I, I love all your sweaters, and your sweater's beautiful, so thank you. So I'm done. <laughs> so whenever I say that, someone's like, he was looking at me when he said that. No, <laughs> not. It's all. What can we learn about endurance? 10 and 11. We can learn this about endurance. As an example, take heed, suffering and patience. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings with that. For the Lord is full of compassion and he's merciful. The prophets. Did any of the prophets live glorious lives? Did any of the prophets have a glorious ending to that glorious life? No, but they were all considered blessed. In this life, you will have, right? We, we got to get past the fact that we have issues, especially coming into the service next week for Thanksgiving. It's not about whether or not we have issues. We have issues. We all have issues. But how are you enduring through those issues? Is it privilege or is it punishment, right? That's an old, old lesson. Is it a privilege or is it a punishment for you to get through that? The, pro- the prophets had, I mean, stoned and knocks the rocks off of him, wakes up from being unconscious, and goes back into the town. It's a privilege. That's a privilege. You're not going back in there to say, you guys can't kill me. You're not challenging anyone. You're just saying, hey, the call of God in my life is stronger than the call to live. If, if, If the Lord wills that today is the day that I move on to the other side, then so be it, and nothing will stop that. Think about that kind of confidence the next time you go to the doctor and you're, and you're all worried about your situation. If the Lord wills that today is your last appointment, then so be it. Now you have that last doctor's appointment to show that doctor, that nurse, that check-in person, who's ever in that office, you have that last opportunity to show them what it looks like to be a follower of Christ in the adversity that God has asked you to go through. What about Job? Whoa. Job, by the way, wealthy. Job definitely would be on the list too. Job had it all. Job was cooking with Crisco and everything was happy. People liked him. He was, he was the dude. And then all of a sudden, Job wakes up one morning and some conversation between the devil and the Lord in heaven results in Job being 
this example for all to see. Everyone turns. Everything runs amok on him. Let's see. Stripped of all of his possessions, deprived of his children, physical ailment, disease, tempted by the devil, her, his wife turns on him, and then he calls in his friends, his last source of strength and hope. Calls in his posse, help, encourage. And they're like, what have you done to do this? What is wrong with you? What does Job do? Quit, complain, throw a tantrum. He'd end up on YouTube today if he did it anyways, right? I mean, he's twice as embarrassing. No, he just says, you know what, Lord? So be it. And how does the story end? Job is fully restored. Exponential. Like You see, that's what's kind of cool about that. He already had a bunch of stuff. Did he need more stuff? Was it a story about stuff? He didn't need more stuff. He was content. The Bible says, be content with all you have. If you're not content, church, with what you have, then more of what you have is not result in content. Be content with what you have. Then if the Lord gives or takes or adds, or, if the Lord wills, then you will find content with that. He gets more in the end. What does that reveal about our God? That our God has all the stuff that he possibly could have and want and need, and he's looking for people that he can share it with whose priority is to share it with others. Because his treasure is you. His treasure is me. Now, I don't know about you if you feel like a treasure. Sometimes I don't feel like a treasure. But even, like, I watch this TV show that my wife mocks me for where this guy's constantly digging on an island, and I won't mention the name, but he really hasn't found anything in, like, 12 years of episodes. <laughs> but one time he found, like, one gem, and it was, like, this sacred moment, right? And it was all covered in dirt and mud and mire. But to him, the treasure seeker, right, who's spent probably $12 million finding this one little $12 item, Man, that, 12, that little piece of gold and jewel, it's like, I kind of feel like that's what God is. Like, he has all these planets, all these, so, it's just the amazing things that God has, and yet he looks down at us, covered in our mud and our mire, and he's like, nah, that, that one, that genie, that's mine, that's a gem to me. Does that help you? It helps me to think about what God thinks about me. Because I see the mud, I see the debris, and I think, squirrel. What does God think about me? Squirrel, like he probably is thinking there's got to be something else more beautiful than me. This last verse is crazy. Verse 12. James is 100% human, and this passage all of a sudden just goes hard left. In a series where everything has been kind of tied together and there's a through line that I kind of see in all of it, this last passage just kind of I don't know, it feels like it's totally standalone, but uh, let me read it to you because it's a very interesting passage. It's a passage that I've used in my life. It's probably one of my 10, what I would call one of my 10 primary teachings, something I constantly reflect to in conversations with people. But seeing it in the sequence today, I realize just how out of order it is, but yet here's James being led by the Spirit of God, and hopefully next week you'll see the connection to it. Amazing standalone passage about your yeses being yes and noes being noes. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but, but, but your yes is to be yes, and your no's no, 
so that you may not fall under judgment. Do not swear, even if you are provoked, maintain your tongue. And when you do, never swear by heaven or earth, because that is God's name. Right? The first three commandments, our relationship with God. You guys, you guys all know the Ten Commandments, right? We're teaching the youth group right now, John 3, 16, and we put the verse up every week because we assume everyone knows it. It's interesting how simple certain passages are. You assume everyone knows, but the Ten Commandments, you all know those? You're using those on a regular basis? No, because they came down in the school along with everything else, and we've forgotten that for the first 200 years of this amazing, amazing, I mean, this place, the United States of America, 200 years. Do you know what the curriculum was for 200 years? The Word of God. We did okay. And we put it up, and we wanted people to know that the golden rule wasn't just something that was good for you or good for me. It was good for everyone. And we have forgotten all these simple different things, and we swear by all kinds of different things now. And by the way, the commentaries on this just went crazy. I guess swearing in Israel, like it's unique to them, but the idea of swearing by someone's name is like, I swear on my mother's name. You know, just a, it's a very common thing to swear by something. He's like, why would you evoke the name of God in your swearing? Even if someone provoked you, why would you evoke the name of God? You know, the scribes in the Bible, when it came to the name of God, were so reverential awe about it that they wouldn't even spell the name of God. Right? They left letters out of it. So they say, how did we go from that to somebody cut you off and you're like using God's name? The creator of heaven and earth, the, the one who can judge your soul to eternity separated from him. I was someone growing up that really never heard myself cussing or different things. I'm 57 now, but I remember when I was 18, a friend of mine made a video. And it was just us driving around being idiots. We had just graduated from high school. We thought we were really cool. And we were doing what a lot of teenage kids do, drive around being idiots, doing stupid things. And as I watched that video when I was probably about 21, and I heard the language coming out of me, it's weird to think what, what becomes part of our life, right? I mean, it's been years, 20, 30 years since. I mean, I really fight now to hear language. And there's still people that are very comfortable with language. I always try to remind people at the police department, don't, you're not, don't worry about offending me. It's my boss. And I'm not talking to my sergeant that I work for. I'm talking about the boss. But when people don't know better, sometimes it's hard to say, oh, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. So I give grace. Because they need to know better, right? We talked about that last week. You need to know better to be held accountable. If much is given, much is expected. Church, the greatest opportunity that we're going to have is just to keep the main thing the main thing. Keep it simple. Favoritism, we should already know that. We can't be showing anyone favoritism. You want to teach? Okay, I want to teach. We got we to be careful about what we're teaching. Hold it accountable. Be, be okay with hearing something on the TV or the radio and then going to God's word and holding them accountable. Anything I ever say, if it's not according to God's word, I want to be held accountable. You have complete carte blanche to come to me and say, hey, what, what did you mean with that? Be accountable to one another. And then consider it all joy. Whatever we're going through, if, the, if the, your tongue's causing you problems, my tongue's causing let's just consider it all joy. It's, it's been causing people problems since the beginning, Right? But we need to hold ourselves accountable. We can't just throw the towel in and say, oh, well, that's not an option for us. 
Why? Because now when it comes to riches or when it comes to anything else, whatever James is going to finish with next week, whatever we do, we have to do it in such a way that draws people to Christ. May the fragrance of your life be such a bouquet that it draws people to Christ. Now, I just changed the lights out in the parking lot talking about an interesting thing, and we went to LEDs. You know what LEDs don't do? Draw bugs to them. Halogen, the old lights, draw the heat of that draws all these bugs and creatures to them. I, I just think simple things like that. I see things in life and I think about it. Be that kind of light. An LED light is cleaner, it's brighter, it lasts longer, and it uses less electricity. Be that kind of person for Christ. Be a cleaner light. Be a brighter light. It's okay that you're going through it. Live in such a way with that light that it draws people to him. Because in the end, what is our priority? To make disciples. If we're not making disciples, if all we are is maintaining disciples, and then the disciples are talking about what we like or don't like about each other, we, we missed the mark. Remember last week, one degree? That's the one degree. You're, we're off the mark. That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to get as many people into heaven with us. And whereas heaven is up there right now, but it's coming down here one day, and one day all the stuff that we value and treasure will all be completely obliterated and remade the correct way. If you keep your eye on the prize, if you seek to store up in heaven, and like I said, next week will be fun. It won't be long. It'll be really quick. Five crowns. If you seek to keep your eye on the prize and store up there, you will realize something that whatever the work is, whatever the amount of labor it is to do that work, it's worth it. It's worth it. Store up for yourself in the eternal. One saved life is worth far more than any CD that you have right now that you know, the bear and the bull market, and this and that. And I, I have people that in my life that have been stock market people, and it's like every day the nuances of the world have such influence in their life. I wish I could just tell them, you know what? Last week I got a chance to walk someone to heaven. Last week I got a chance to throw seeds. Last week I had a chance to pull weeds. I mean, whatever aspect of ministry I can be involved in, to me, that's where the real excitement is. That's where the real work is being done. And you're part of that. You're doing work right now. You're doing work in your lives. You're doing work in your family's lives. And I want to continue to be that source of encouragement for you. I'm going to call the band forward, which is Caden and the group. Caden, thank you for blessing us this morning, brother. We really appreciate having you this morning. You have a beautiful voice. And as I get ready to pray, and uh, just want to remind you guys, like I said, next week is going to be our Thanksgiving service, which is going to be really fun to just thank God for all the different things that he's done in the last few weeks, days, and months here at the church. And if you have something that you would want to share maybe next week, maybe a praise, I probably will have a small period of time at the end of service where maybe you can come and share. I also have some stories that have been turned into me that I'm looking forward to sharing with you guys. And like I said, there's a lot of really beautiful things that God has done, and I think you're going to be very encouraged next week. So I want to encourage you to come, find a friend, find a family member, find a neighbor, and bring them with you. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. I know that it, uh, it comes with a price. Everything that's good comes with a price, spiritually speaking. And what do we learn today, Father, is that that price is that it gives us a chance to store up in heaven. Then it's, it's, it's a worthwhile endeavor. And I just pray, Father, for any of those in this audience today and even those listening online, Father, if, if you have the chance to be blessed, to have employees, if you have the chance to be over people, if you have the chance to provide care or direction for people, just be considerate of just how valuable those people are. Because to you, Father, that's the real treasure. That's the real joy. 
And we want to be someone that has a heart like yours. We want to be someone that knows that Jesus died for our sins. And if you didn't know Jesus died for your sins this morning, then today is the day to be reconciled to God. Don't wait till tomorrow. Why do you think tomorrow you're going to do it? Like if Jesus shows up today, if this is the last service you ever hear, and at the end of the service, Jesus taps you on the shoulder and says, that's it. That's the last message you ever heard today. Now the next question I have for you is, why should I let you into heaven? If you don't know, because I gave my life to Jesus, because I've made a profession of faith, because I've confessed my sins and confessed Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And based on the word of God in Romans 8, now there is no condemnation for me because I am in you. And even though I'm not worthy, you will still be obliged to let me in. Father, I just pray this morning that you would do so. For the sake of the one, 1 Corinthians 9, for the sake of two, for the sake of any, Father, I pray that everything that continues to happen in this building bring honor and glory to and through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
you're so much better. You're so much better. You're so much kinder.
If you have anything left on your plate that needs to be prayed for or talked about, we're here. There's still elders in the building. Myself, we'd love to stay afterwards and talk to you. If not, just go and be encouraged and remind yourself, church doesn't just happen on Sunday from 10 to 11:26. Church happens every day that you wake up, every day that you put on your clothes and walk out that door and say, today, choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May you serve the Lord brilliantly this week. May your radiance draw, draw others close to the amazing God that we serve. Find somebody, tell them you love them. Take somebody out to lunch today you don't know. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. God bless. Have a wonderful weekend.